What do you trust the most, your heart or historical facts? We'll talk about that next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Is it wise to trust the testimony of a proven liar or trust the testimony of several people who have no history or reason to be untruthful? Some people say you can't trust history, but the Bible says we can't trust our hearts. <laughs> That's the dilemma of today's topic, and it all goes back to Joseph Smith's polygamy. In past shows, we've told the stories of each of Joseph Smith's known and documented plural wives. Joseph took as 11 married women who yes. they were already married and living with living husbands. Um, and he had a total of 33 plural yeah. wives, just to remind everyone. <laughs> and they did call it celestial marriage in those days. Now, in addition to his 33 plural wives, he also prop proposed or propositioned several others who turned him down. That's our focus this time. Two of the ladies who turned him down. Now, Sarah Pratt was one married lady that Smith proposed to while her husband, Orson Pratt, was away on a mission. Now, Smith often propositioned the wives of men he sent away on missions, and this was one case where that happened. We quote from Richard S. Van Wagener's Mormon Polygamy, A History. And this is the logic he used to uh, talk to people, I guess. Smith reportedly said, Sister Pratt... The Lord has given you to me as one of my spiritual wives. I have the blessings of Jacob granted me, as he granted holy men of old, and I have long looked upon you with favor, and hope you will not deny me. I care not for the blessings of Jacob, the feisty Sarah was said to have replied. I have one good husband, and that's enough for me. <laughs> I love, yeah. I love her and, and, and the next one, the <laughs> response. Uh, Smith could not take no for an answer, especially when it threatened his quest for more wives. So he tried again to convince Sarah of the correctness of polygamy. So she threatened him that if he ever approached her again on the subject, that she would tell her husband the whole story when he came home from his mission. At that point, Smith must have been somewhat alarmed because he replied like this. Same book, uh, page 29 and 30. Sister Pratt, I hope you will not expose me. If I am to suffer, I'll suffer. So do not expose me. If you should tell, I will ruin your reputation. Remember that. Wow, what a threat, <laughs> huh? Well, Sarah later did tell her husband, and it so upset poor Orson that he was on the verge of suicide. He was torn between believing his wife or believing his prophet. Brigham Young said when Pratt chose to believe Sarah instead of Joseph Smith, Joseph told him he would go to hell if he believed his wife. There's that hell threat again. But Pratt stood firm despite the threat of losing his church quorum membership, and Orson was eventually excommunicated. But, sadly, he later <laughs> came back and became a prolific polygamist himself. But that's another story, and we will talk about that in another show. But we read this from page 31. Joseph Smith was not directly involved in the excommunication of the rebellious Pratts on 20 August of 1842. He was walking a tightrope, secretly courting both 38-year-old Eliza R. Snow and 17-year-old Sarah Ann Whitney while fighting extradition to Missouri as an accessory to an assault with intent to kill former Governor Lilburn W. Boggs. Boy, he did right, walk a tightrope, <laughs> didn't was busy, he? Wasn't oh, he was busy, was Yes, he was, his mind. 
And on top of all this difficulty, like we said, he was dodging the justice of the law. But he was also in trouble with another longtime friend and counselor, Sidney Rigdon, because he had also proposed celestial marriage to Rigdon's 19-year-old daughter, unmarried daughter, Nancy. Oh, boy. It was spring of 1842, and Joseph Smith was now the proud husband of several plural wives besides Emma, his only legal wife. His plural wives were a highly and very well-kept secret, but Smith's eye was captured by 19-year-old Nancy Rigdon. George Robinson was married to Nancy's sister, and he said this. <laughs> Smith sent for Miss Rigdon to come to the house of Mrs. Orson Hyde, who lived in the under rooms of the printing office. Nancy inquired of the messenger, and the only reply was that Smith wanted to see her. So he took her into a room, he locked the door, and told her that he had an affection for her for several years and wished that she were his. He said the Lord was well pleased with him and had given him a revelation on polygamy, calling it the blessings of Jacob and that there was no sin in it whatsoever. Smith always presented celestial marriage as a direct commandment from God, and they mm. still do. Well, what happened to the commandment, I have to ask, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife? <laughs> Forgot that one. Your neighbor's daughter or whatever. Nancy was so upset and repulsed by his proposition that she threatened to raise the neighbors if he didn't unlock the door and set her free immediately. She also told Smith that if she ever got married, it would be to a single man or no man at all. Well, Nancy didn't say anything to anyone for a couple of days, but, which is when she received a, a letter from Joseph Smith. And this letter is now known as the happiness letter. <laughs> A portion of this particular letter has been quoted by Mormon church leadership ever since. And those who hear it quoted have no idea it originated from Joseph Smith coaxing Nancy to indulge him in adultery. Of course, there have been denials that Smith wrote this letter, but when they quote it out of its original context, they own it as having been from Joseph Smith. We quote from the Journal of Mormon History. Despite the, these public and private denials of authorship, the alleged letter to Nancy Rigdon, often referred to as the happiness letter because of its theological declaration at the outset, quote, happiness is the object and design of our existence, end of quote, somehow eventually made its way into the manuscript history of the church. The text of it was subsequently published without any introduction or explanation in the serialized form of the history of Joseph Smith in the Deseret News in 1855. So they owned it yes, they that did. it was written by Joseph Smith. Now, historians have also, for the most part, accepted it as a, authentically Joseph Smith because the LDS Church itself has endorsed the document by publishing it in the official history of the church. And it has been well used, extensively used, in curriculum materials as well. I have a quote about this from an anonymous person. Some time back, I did a general conference search and found the happiness quote, was the second most common non-scriptural quote in conference in the last 50 years, the first being the standard of truth. I just redid the search and happiness wins 22 times to standard of truth's 14. Not sure why the stats changed. 
It helped that President Monson quoted happiness as the object on four separate occasions. Dallas, Dallin Oaks has used both quotes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Did you hear it when you were in the I church? don't remember that happiness letter comment. Really? Happy, the happiness, happiness was the, the main object. of our existence. No, I hadn't heard that one. I no, at really? least didn't remember it. I've heard several ex-Mormons say, really? um, well, it doesn't God just want us to be happy? Well, sure. I mean, that, And that's where it comes from. Yeah. That's where it comes from. In the October 2008 General Conference, Mormon Apostle Dieter Uchtdorf, in his address entitled Happiness, Your Heritage, said this. Mm-hmm. 2008, our birthright and the purpose of our great voyage on this earth is to seek and experience eternal happiness. <laughs> like I said, I can't recall how many times different people from the Mormon religion or the Mormon faith have said that remark, yet there's not a single place in the Bible that reflects such an idea because it isn't in the Bible. The only place it's in is Joseph Smith's <laughs> happiness letter. And our purpose is not to be happy, but it is to love and glorify God. And in doing His will, uh, it will result in joy, rejoicing, and contentment. But there can be a lot of prolonged times of unhappiness in yeah. everyone's life. So we refute all their preaching about happiness as being our purpose for this life. And we cannot support Smith's letter, his philosophy, <laughs> and certainly the reason behind he, the writing yeah. this happiness letter. The reason and content of the letter was to convince Nancy to indulge in adultery with Joseph Smith. And now we're going to take a close look at this letter that Joseph Smith sent to Nancy Rigdon after she turned down his celestial marriage proposal. Now keep in mind that this letter was his attempt to convince her (laughs) that everything everything was all okay. (laughs) So he began his letter to Nancy like this. Happiness is the object and design of our existence and will be the end thereof if we pursue the path that leads to it. And this path is virtue, uprightness, faithfulness, holiness, and keeping all the commandments of God. But we cannot keep all the commandments without first knowing them. And we we cannot expect to know all or more than we know now unless we comply with or keep those we have already received. Boy, he's doing a lot of double talk here. (laughs) Notice he mentions virtue as being number one on his list there, and yet he's trying to convince her not to be virtuous by committing adultery with him. Now, this statement alone is full of error concerning truth, holiness, and the design of our existence. And I suspect that it wasn't Nancy's happiness that he was concerned with at all. I don't think so. (laughs) But his own satisfaction. And he is trying to make her think that in making him happy, she'll be happy too. I guess. Remember, she already turned him down, stating that if she ever got married, it would be to a single man or to no man at all. And we wonder what part of that statement that Joseph Smith was unable to understand. He said in this letter, that a commandment that isn't known is one that we cannot keep, which, of course, in this scenario, is Joseph Smith's law of polygamy. She can't keep it unless she knows it. (laughs) But once she knows it, she better keep it. (laughs) That's right. Then he tells Nancy that she can't know of any other commandments, no further commandments, unless she keeps the ones that she already knows about, that, mm. God has, that God has already revealed. In other words, now that she knows about Joseph Smith's celestial marriage, she better accept his proposal. 
There's the threat. There's the logic. The <laughs> lightly veiled threat to obey the commandment for polygamy or never be privy to any of God's commandments or favor in the future. Mm. They always use threats. He threatened Orson Pratt that if he believed his wife, Sarah, that he would go to hell. And, and, and I'd like to say, we're, let's ask where these kinds of concepts are in the Bible, you know? Yeah. I, I really would like to, to get some answers for that. And God's got a long memory, and he knows every single lie and threat that's been done by polygamists in his name. Yeah, here's another quote from this letter. That which is wrong under one circumstance may be and often is right under another. Whatever God requires is right, no matter what it is. Everything he gives us is lawful and right, and tis proper that we should enjoy his gifts and blessings whenever and wherever he is disposed to bestow. As God has designed our happiness, the happiness of all his creatures, he never has, he never will, institute an ordinance or give a commandment to his people that is not calculated in its nature to promote that happiness which he has designed, and which will not end in the greatest amount of good and glory to those who become the recipients of his laws and ordinances. Blessings offered but rejected are no longer blessings. Unto him that hath not or will not receive shall be taken away that which he hath or might have had. No good thing will I, God, withhold from them who walk uprightly before me and do my will in all things, who will listen to my voice and to the voice of my servant whom I have sent, and in the end they shall have joy." So this is his letter to Nancy when she turned him down. Now notice that he's talking about happiness in plural marriage. Yeah. I have yet to see happiness in plural marriage. You know, it, the, the kind of joy that he's talking yeah. about just isn't there, there when you're sharing your husband. No. And, and, but he's offering an abundance of blessings and happiness and joy and threats of it being taken away if she doesn't comply. He told her that plural marriage may seem wrong to her, but since he's in it, it's really not wrong at all. That's what he said. Yeah, and he's the prophet. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, his reasoning reminds me of the situational ethics that people face today. What's wrong for you isn't wrong for me, and, and what's wrong in one circumstance yeah. may be right in another. It all depends on the situation. But that is not how God has revealed his ethics to this world. <laughs> Smith is telling Nancy that she shouldn't worry about her virtue because since God has called her to do this, then it's the right thing to do and will eventually lead her into happiness and eternal glory. Well, he's using all the tricks of the trade, isn't he? He is. He's using all those words. <laughs> and so the serpent hisses. If she wants this happiness, she must listen to the voice of Joseph, God's servant. And there's the crowning... Yeah. Slam. I'm his servant. God's pleased with me. You better do what you're told. But if she rejects this proposal at this time, she will forever lose out on the blessings God has for her. You know, that's nothing less than blasphemy. It is. Commit adultery with me or God's going to get you. And he knows he's going to have to stand before God one day, don't you think? Oh, you would think that they would <laughs> consider that a little, bit. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and Joseph Smith used kind of the same tactic 
a verbal tactic anyway, of a 16-year-old Lucy Walker. She, he went to her and, and, and proposed the, the polygamy, the plural marriage, and she at first refused. Lucy Walker refused his proposal, so he gave her 24 hours <laughs> to make up her mind. Think about it, huh? Yeah, 24 <laughs> hours. And if she didn't agree in those 24 hours, she would for, the door would be closed and she would forever lose out on the chance for her family and her own salvation. Oh Isn't that awful? That's terrible. Well, Nancy Rigdon wasn't easily intimidated by Smith's underhandedness, and she started <laughs> to talk about it. We quote from an article about this letter. Yet even with Joseph's compelling letter, Nancy Rigdon did not give in, but no longer was she silent. Soon rumors began circulating that Joseph had propositioned Nancy and that she had refused him. Joseph eventually admitted what he had done, but claimed he was merely trying to determine whether Nancy was a virtuous woman. <laughs> a test. This huh? is a test. This turned out to be an odd rationalization on Joseph's part, for while Nancy refused his advances, being evidence of her virtue, her virtue, her exceptional reputation was shortly impugned by the avalanche of slander. Nancy was tagged a more a poor, miserable girl out of the very slough of prostitution. Nancy endured this treatment for a while, but finally left the Saints in 1844 and moved to Pennsylvania. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. Isn't that terrible that things like this would happen? <laughs> so rather than accept uh, her or eventually get her, he impugned her he, he, character. And, and that's what he threatened Sarah Pratt with. Yeah. He would ruin her character if yeah. she talked about it. And he did this with Nancy. Um, and he followed through with that threat on her virtue. And you know, in those days, the virtue of a woman was, was I mean, she could have been completely destroyed yeah. uh, by gossip like this. And, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Now, we need to take into account the historical events and context of the happiness letter. We wonder how the Mormon leadership can quote it without hesitation. <laughs> You know, uh, and I guess I just don't believe their their saints will ever check it out to well, find again, out the source. They, they take out the little line and don't look at the context. <laughs> yeah. Kind of the way they use the Bible. Right. You know, they pull out a little line or two and then don't consider totally, the context. Totally replace the context, yeah. right. Uh, and I know the LDS, I know the polygamists, and, I'm, and I, I've heard Mormons say the same thing, that they condemn King David's affair with Bathsheba, sure. and, and they believe that David forfeited eternal life because of it. Yet Joseph Smith approached the wives of friends and fellow Mormons, many of them close friends, and that's okay. They justify his disgusting behavior just because he was Joseph Smith. Yeah. And that's what he told Nancy in the letter. <laughs> I'm Joseph Smith, and so whatever I say to you is okay. Since I accept it, you need to, too. <laughs> yeah. oh, Just boy. because he invoked the name of God, claiming his sexual shenanigans were actually obedience to a command from God, and everything is okay. At least in David's story, he didn't tell Bathsheba that God commanded him to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Polygamists today continue on the same path and they claim that God commanded this, this bizarre and illegal sexual lifestyle, calling it the way to heaven, and continue to promise God's blessings to every female who believes it and threatens hell and damnation to those who refuse it. We quote the ending of an article about this from MormonMRM.org. Yeah, such an excellent resource for anybody that's looking up
It this is. kind of stuff. Oh, it is. In 1846, Nancy married Robert Ellis, then a member of her father's newly formed Re Restorationist Church, a church that condemned the Mormon doctrine of polygamy. Nancy and Robert began a family and eventually had nine children. The couple lived out their days in Pennsylvania, enjoying 31 years together until Nancy's death in 1877. Her refusal of Joseph Smith's proposal of plural marriage, notwithstanding, it seems that Nancy found happiness after all. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You know, it, again, time is the enemy of false prophet. <laughs> and Nancy Rigdon found happiness in monogamy, where Joseph Smith said he, she would find it in, in yeah. the polygamy. Uh, and, and outside of Mormonism. Right. She was outside of Mormonism completely. And it's just like when Joseph Smith threatened Emma in section 132. If you don't allow me to take all these other wives, God will, God destroy, will destroy you. you. And yet, in the end, it was Smith who was destroyed as a young man <laughs> in his prime of life, and she lived to a ripe old age. <laughs> so, just to put Smith's claim in their proper perspective, we need to look at what he called the blessings oh, of Jacob. Interesting phrase. He frequently used biblical characters to justify his own lawless behavior. But did God give Joseph or Jacob plural wives? Did God command Jacob to take plural wives? Did Jacob and his wives find happiness? in their plural marriages. Well, we'll go to the source and find out. Yeah, from Genesis 29, 20 through 25. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, my time is completed and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob and Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Okay. Mm -hmm. So the first wife was supposed to be Rachel, but Jacob was deceived. Now we have right. to see this word deceived in here, that what happened here was a switcheroo yeah, by they, the father-in-law. Yeah. Right. Where is God in this? Is God mentioned anywhere in no. this? Not part of the transaction. So what about Rachel? Let's find out. Yeah, Genesis again, 2930. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Then she said, here is Bilhah, my maidservant, sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and that through her I too can build a family. So she gave him her servant Bilhah, I guess that's how you say that, as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. So I, I ask all of our viewers, especially the polygamous viewers who use Jacob as an example, where's God in this? Where's the commandment? Where's, yeah, where's the commandment? Where did God do this? What did God do? Yeah. He just didn't come down with the blast of lightning to to burn or them into embers. With a drawn sword. Right, with, with the drawn angel. sword. <laughs> He's got three wives at this point. And each situation that has been described has been filled with contention, competition, jealousy, rejection, and loneliness. Jacob was a harassed man. And yeah, we read further. Rachel's <laughs> servants Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son, 
And Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her maidservant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Again, no teaching, no, no commandment, no, no God, uh, no plural marriage principle going on here. That's such a good point. Just all of these people just competing with each other. Yeah. And, and if this is the blessings of Jacob, I'd sure like to have to ask for their definition of blessings. Yeah. For sure. Now, Joseph Smith used code words and phrases to express plural marriage, and the blessings of Jacob was just one of them. We often hear the excuse, well, God started the nation of Israel through these sons born to Jacob. It must be okay with him. Well, how does that make polygamy a command from God? It doesn't. And God has promised that he will bring all things together for the good of those who love him. And God keeps his promises. And his faithfulness to his promises does not depend upon us. Joseph Smith's prescription for happiness. Did I say Joseph Smith? Yes. Yeah. I want to make sure I got this right. <laughs> Joseph Smith's prescription for happiness is diabolically opposed to God's promise of eternal joy, of peace, comfort, and rest by trusting in him alone. And, and, and polygamy is a diabolical opposition to his original plan of monogamy. The thing that's amusing to me is this is a young man who already has several wives, including a legal wife of Emma, uh -huh. and then still is hunting, hunting for more. It's just kind of strange that he would have such an eye for the young ladies and to pursue <laughs> them and even take the risk of of being of writing a letter, for example, yeah. you, you would think that would be. Yeah, wasn't he afraid that she would show that letter and and he finally admitted it? Maybe because yeah. she did show the letter, right. have that physical presence of uh, proof that yeah. that's what he did. Yeah. Otherwise, it, otherwise, it's a your word against mine. But if you've mm -hmm. written a letter, you you've kind of committed. Uh, you know, you right. documented your uh, right, story. Right, right. <laughs> and, so. and, and it's documented because we've got the letter. We yeah. read it. Now, with Sarah Pratt, he, he, it, there wasn't a documentation. Right. It was your word against his. Right. And so that's why he's, he could tell her, well, you'll go to hell if you believe your wife instead but of me. To have that uh, urge or that sense that you've got to keep pursuing is kind of like a hunting Kind of a thing for him. He was never satisfied. It was, he wasn't. And that's the same thing I asked that question today for a polygamist, especially the leaders of polygamy groups. If you have two wives, you're, you're living polygamy. Yeah. If you've got three or four, you're living. Why do you have to have 15 or 20 or 30? It, it's got to be some kind of a unrestrained. <laughs> something mental there. Yeah, yeah, well. Or just the conquest of, it's like having more money. You know, yeah. how much money does, yeah. if a person's a millionaire or two million, is, is that enough or do you want to keep going? Yeah, that, keep going. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but. They had it. <laughs> they did it. They did it. We have the and thing. And the polygamists today still do it. They still do it. Yeah. The, the leadership do. They yeah. have, they're the ones that have the many, huge many amounts wives. of wives, huge numbers of wives. Thank you, Earl. I yeah, appreciate it again. Interesting. You know, Hebrews 2, 12, 14 says, quote, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Well, celestial marriage is multiple women sharing one man which is never described as being a holy activity in the Bible. In contrast, God says that bare marriage bed should be kept pure. 
that monogamy was God's creative plan from the beginning, adultery is prohibited in the Ten Commandments, and he has never rescinded or redefined adultery. He shows no favoritism between male and female, so if having multiple partners is forbidden for one, it's forbidden for all. It's time that polygamists and Mormons renounce your blind faith, start checking out what you've been told, and turn and follow the way of ancient truths rather than the so-called restoration of latter-day truth. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.